You are listening to the Remote Local Podcast. Learn the best tips to build a local business you can run from anywhere in the world and get the financial and location freedom you desire. Welcome to the show. What's up, podcast listeners? You're here for another episode of the Remote Local Podcast. I'm your host, Neil Parekh, and I've got a pretty sweet guest today. I'm stoked to talk to you. I have Chris Munn here. What's going on, Chris? Yeah, how you doing, man? Good, man. Good. So I actually met Chris, funny enough, through Twitter, and we connected, um, and we were like, oh, both of us are in LA. Why don't we meet up for beers? So us and a couple other guys met up for beers like a couple months ago and just started hitting it off. So one of those random meetings, Chris. Yeah, it was... uh... Very random, but I'm I'm happy we met. Shout out to Johnny and Sergio. But yeah, I'm very happy that we met, and it's it's cool to get with real uh, get with Twitter people in real life. Like you can see the real people, and it's nice when you hit it off like we did. So it was awesome. I'll tell you one thing: I've never met people on, off of LinkedIn randomly. <laughs> no, I've been on LinkedIn for not. like Link, LinkedIn fifteen cringe, years. Man. Yeah, man, awful. <laughs> uh, so Chris, I'm super excited to dive into your story. I'll, partially for selfish reasons, because I really, really want to hear how you did a couple of things. So I'm going to give a little background on Chris. Uh, Chris currently lives in Los Angeles from Detroit originally. Uh, he does a couple of things, real estate and SMBs, a small medium business. Uh, his real estate holdings are in the Detroit area, the greater Detroit area. His business, his local business is actually based over in Tampa, Florida, and he lives here in Los Angeles. So really, really cool remote local story. He spent some time at, uh, being a nomad as well, living in Paris. Uh, so we're going to dive into all of that. Um, Chris, tell me a, a bit more about your early days. You started and you grew up in Detroit, is that right? Yeah, so I grew up in Detroit, uh, pretty much lived there my whole childhood. Um, I went to Detroit Public Schools, so like nothing fancy, but um, my wife will tell you, anybody who knows me will tell you, I, I love Detroit. I love mm-hmm. talking about Detroit. Detroit people are super uh, proud people. And they're super blue, like blue collar, hardworking people. Yeah. And so I love growing up in that. What did um, your parents do, Chris? Were they entrepreneurs? So, so my no, no, no. My dad uh, worked for General Motors, and my mom worked for United Airlines. So they both had like regular corporate jobs. Wow. Um. And so, but yeah, like growing up. But something that really shaped me was uh, 2006. I graduated from high school, mm-hmm. and um. I left Detroit to go to college. I went to school in D.C. at Howard University. And when I left, it was kind of when the auto industry was declining and the mortgage, you know, the whole financial Mm -hmm. crisis was happening. And like Detroit got hit super, super, super hard. And um, I saw people lose their jobs. I saw people that worked for 25 years at a company just say like, hey, you don't work here anymore. And they were, you know, 50 years old and they don't have you know, the skills to go do something else other than the auto industry. And so that kind of shaped my entrepreneurial path because I kind of was like, I can't ever be beholden to a company in that way. Um, It's kind of wild, Chris, because like I I graduated around the same time. I graduated 07 from high school. Um, And I think a lot of people in our generation, like there's some historical events which was shaped the way that generation acts towards entrepreneurship, towards business. For our parents' generation, they were like, get a stable job, grow like grow the company just just do great yeah. that's what my parents always pushing on me then you see this crisis happen and you're like oh wait this is a job is the riskiest proposition you have one client 
That's yeah. it. If you yeah. lose that client, what are you going to do? So yeah. I think a lot of people in our generation shifted towards entrepreneurship. That's how you yeah. and I kind of got involved. Rich Dad Poor Dad was around that time. Yeah. It, it'll be very interesting for this new generation, which is like the creator generation in some ways. Like people can make a million dollars on TikTok. So Absolutely. I just see everyone trying to be a creator now. Nothing wrong, good, bad. It, it could be fantastic, but it's just very interesting to see. Yeah, the shift, the shift generation yeah, to generation. Absolutely, there's there's been a shift, and like, yeah, I looked at it like you know, working for somebody your whole career is like having a business with one customer. You know, it's like risky, man. If it if it if they're paying well, it's good while it lasts. But you know, yeah, once they say, hey, you need to lower your price, it's like you're screwed. So yeah, um, so yeah, so I I left that. I worked in finance after college my whole career. Worked at a hedge fund. Did all like the crazy finance stuff in New York. Okay. Um. And at one of those jobs, I started looking into buying up multifamily apartments outside how'd of Detroit. Even, how'd you come across that? Did someone over there, like people were doing multifamily? Because like, as someone who doesn't come from a background of entrepreneurs, real estate investors, you don't think, hey, let me go buy multifamily, right? You yeah. think maybe I'll buy a house, yeah, like my yeah, own yeah. primary house. How did yep. that idea get incepted? Yeah. So funny enough, um, when I was working for the last company that I worked for, uh, one of my grandmothers passed and my aunt was responsible for selling her house. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, I'll buy the house. I learned a little bit about real estate, just the reading and being online and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'll buy the house. So, you know, I go through the process to buy the house. My aunt does not sell me the house, right? <laughs> I had the best <laughs> offer. My aunt did yeah. not sell me the house. Yeah. So... Like I sat down to reassess and I'm just like, you know what? Everybody who I listened to always talked about they wish they started bigger or they wish they started sooner. They would be yeah. further along. So I was like, okay, I'm starting at step one. I'm starting at the smaller step. I'm buying just one small little house. I was like, why don't I just do what everybody else says? Why don't I just try to buy an apartment building instead? And that's just what I did, man. Like, I was just like, let's just buy an apartment building instead. And so I started looking. Um, it was a crazy story how I found it. I was actually going to visit the apartment next door. Mm -hmm. And the guy was offering too much money. And I just happened to run into the owner of the apartment that I own now. Oh, wow. And we started talking. And how big is he, this place? Uh, so the first apartment I bought is eight units. It was an eight unit apartment building, it's okay. one two bedroom and seven one bedrooms. Um, so that was the first one I bought. And then later down the line, I bought a 22 unit building, um, not too far from the eight unit building. So Jeez, in man. total, I have 30 units. Yeah. Damn. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to quickly touch upon, um, the reason why I'm not going to dive into multifamily too much, but part of yep. this and what we're doing in business here is businesses are great to generate cash flow. Local businesses are great for generating cash, right? Yep. Multiples aren't great. Like in terms of equity, maybe not great. Right. But yep. like they make money. Yep. So the question a lot of I, what I see a lot of business owners do is they're really going to make money, then they don't know what to do with the money. Absolutely. Right? Part of it, the funnel, and I like this funnel too, Chris, I think you're doing it in a much bigger way than I am, is you get cash from local business and then you put it into something which is either more passive or more high multiple. Yeah. Right. So what you're doing is potentially both, because I actually want to talk a little bit about the leverage as it relates to multifamily. Can you walk yep. me through like like let's say you do that, you have a small business, you push money, you buy this large multifamily unit. Can you walk me through the math? Um, yeah. 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 So what you're saying is exactly right. Like real estate is not a good way to generate cash. Right. And business is not a good way to generate equity or not the best way to generate equity. Right. So uh, they're, they're flipped. So 
So basically how I looked at it was, okay, I have a small business that generates cash. I could either use the cash to grow my business, which some of it I do, but I could also put it in a real estate. Like you said, it's more passive and the equity multiples are just way higher. So mm-hmm. just for instance, uh, very easily a real estate holding can sell for 20 times cash flow. 20 times cash flow. Okay. 20, uh, a, a multifamily can easily sell for 20 times cash flow. And a small business is like, if you get five, like you're really doing a good job. Like in five times perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now granted the entry prices are different as well. So like, you know, to get into a small business, you pay five or to get into real estate, you'll pay 20. Right. But if you know how debt works and you know how levers work, if you can increase the value of the real estate holdings, <clears throat> Just a little bit, you're getting 20x whatever you do. If you increase the value of your SMB, you're yep. getting 5x whatever you do. So I kind of look at it like, let's generate the cash in the SMB. Let's try to dump it into real estate. Let's try and to create some value and 20x whatever we do over there. I love that. Like literally just by dumping in it from one asset class to another, yep. which is yep. even more passive, you're getting you're going from five max to 20. Yeah. Like overnight. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, so that's, man, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Perfect so, way to do it. How do you, uh, I, I'm so curious because how does this transition work? You're working in a hedge fund. You're probably making great money. You yeah. buy multifamily, maybe another multifamily. And you're like, hey, let me go buy a local company in Tampa. I don't even live there. I have no ties over there. Yeah. How does this happen? So first of all, can you tell us what, what kind of company this is? So it's a commercial cleaning company. We clean everything from large private schools to uh, hockey stadiums, hockey arenas to baseball stadiums. Like we clean colleges we clean it all wow um and the way i got into it was literally kind of the same way just listening to people and and this is one of the things the beauties of the internet and the beauties of twitter is like i said i grew up in detroit i grew up detroit public school like literally no one i know ever in my life had money yeah like literally nobody so there's nobody to go to there's nobody to ask there's no role models so the internet is really like a game changer for kids like me growing up because there was literally, I, I had no neighbors or I had no uncle or anybody like that that ever had probably made more than like $60,000. Mm-hmm. So on the internet, I love to learn and I love to read. And so on the internet, I could just, I could look up anything. I could find anybody. Yeah. So I learned about SMB through the internet and I basically just started searching and started talking to brokers and started just doing my research and asking more and more people. And I found a good deal in Tampa. Really, that's how it happened. So um, this might be a case where like, I kind of love like young entrepreneurs and people who are just getting into it because ignorance is like going to get you a little bit further ahead. But most people who are probably in the game are like, I want to buy a local business close to me. But you not knowing anything, you're like, oh, I want to just go look at Florida. Why not? Yep. Not knowing the downsides of it, then end up working out really, really well. Why did you decide to do somewhere which is so far away as opposed to looking for a local business close to where you were? Yeah. So, well, as you tell my story, like I grew up in Detroit. I went to school in DC. I lived in New York. I lived mm-hmm. in Paris. I lived in Atlanta. So I never felt like I lived really anywhere. So it wasn't like, oh, let me buy something near me because I didn't feel like I had ties yeah. to anywhere specific. And I learned a lot on my first real estate deal. So when I was getting the loan, the bank where they were asking all kinds of questions like, oh, if the toilet breaks, you don't live in Detroit. Like, how are you going to handle oh, this? Oh, seriously? Wow. Yeah, like they were bringing up stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, 
if my toilet broke at my house, I wouldn't fix it. So yeah. I don't know why you're asking me about these toilets. Yeah. And so, but it helped me learn how to manage something from afar. And I think it makes you a better manager and a better delegator for it and allows you to have more free time really to do other things because you literally can't get up and stop by and go check on stuff. You have so, to have people there doing it. So you found a business, you were agnostic, you were like on biz by sale or something like that. Uh, I, w I was on biz by sale at first, but I found it through a broker. Like I had just reached out to different brokers, business Got brokers, it. and it was a deal that the business broker sent me. So in, in terms of, um, would you mind sharing like either purchase price or revenue? So we have yeah. kind of a range. So, uh, the business, when we bought it was doing, uh, like 1.1 in revenue. Okay. Um, and then it was probably doing. 250 in SDE, so 250 in owner's earnings. That's actually pretty good for commercial. Yeah, no, it's really good for commercial. And it was because they had some they had some accounts that were really profitable, like Got it. 50% margins. Got it. Um, okay. And so I think we purchased it for just about three times earnings. Um, you got a loan for that one? Yeah, and we got a loan through the SBA for that. And so... Okay. Like I, there's a big debate all the time about buy versus build and all that kind of stuff. And I don't really have a preference on which way people do it. You can build a business that way. You can buy a business that way. As long as you know what you're doing, uh, I think it'll, it should work out fine for you. But yeah, we did that, um, got the business. And so it's just been, we've had it for a little over two years. So, wow. um, and but yeah, it's just our job to grow it now. Were you scared that you're not physically there? And you're running this company and like, well, what if something happens? Yeah, no, um, I wasn't, uh, maybe that was not naivete that I wasn't, but yeah. I just was like, you know, like, like I said, if like the worst thing that can happen in a business, like, oh, somebody doesn't show up to clean. Right. Like, that's like kind of the worst thing you you're in the cleaning industry. So, you know, it's like somebody doesn't come out to clean and when somebody doesn't come to clean with what you do, like you don't go. Correct. And so you have to figure a way to manage it and manage that risk and do stuff like that. And it's no different than any other business. Like, you know, so, Howard Schultz isn't about to get back there and make coffee because the barista's out for the day. So, <laughs> so know, I'm not going to do it either. Yeah. So Chris, when you're doing your diligence though, there's certain businesses where it just, it's much harder to do remote. Now there's some mm -hmm. business which can be done remote, but they're a little bit too early. They're not the system set in the place. It's not done remote. When you were looking at this business, what made you say, Hey, I feel comfortable with this being remote. And like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is was a previous owner doing stuff where you physically had to be there where you exited out or was it always built in a way which could have been done remote? Yeah. I think the previous owner did do a good job of building it in a way he was there. Okay. Um, a husband and wife, they were there, but they had managers in place who kind of did the day to day. So you okay. know, they would go around and like shake hands and kiss babies and stuff like that. But they didn't really do any of the ordering or any of the customer uh, relationships or stuff like that. Like that was mostly the managers. So that gave me comfort. And then the size of the business gave me comfort, like a smaller business. I wouldn't, I don't think I feel the same about it. It's not, you know, you kind of need to be more active, but <clears throat> a larger business, I felt, I felt okay. on. So I think that's a big thing to, to talk about there, but, um, two aspects of what made you comfortable with buying a place out of state. One, um, was that there's managers in the place. So there's logistics involved still. You guys are told buying supplies, 
there's an office space, there's a lease, there's things like that. Okay. Yep. So that's still the case, but then that would only work then if there's managers to take the place, which probably indicates the business is of a certain size anyways. Correct. Chris, you have a threshold where you're like, hey, I don't recommend people buying local service businesses under X revenue because yeah. you know, then you'd have to be there. Absolutely. Like if you don't want a job, don't buy a business. Whatever the what you <clears throat> you do your due diligence, you'll find out how much the business makes. Literally what the business cash flows after everything's paid. Yeah. And then you find out what you'll need to pay a manager to run it. And you'll subtract that from the cash flow. And if you're comfortable with the money that's left over, then that's a big enough business you can want run remote. Do you uh, value it after you're paying the manager out and then value it based off of that amount? Depends on what the owner does, right? So like the I've looked at businesses that say they make two hundred, but the owner yeah. works forty hours a week. Okay. And so to me, that business doesn't make $200,000. That business makes $100,000 because Got the it. owner has worked for $100,000. So that's the only way you'll, you'll come across businesses when you do di- due diligence. One of the best questions to ask, especially as the business gets smaller, is like, what does the owner do day to day? And if yeah. it sounds like they have a full-time job, then I'm not going to pay you for that on that multiple. I'm going to pay you on the multiple of the <clears> owner salary is out of here because that was work that was done by the business and could yeah. be if it had to be outsourced we have to pay for it so what i kind of love about this and i i almost it's kind of like what we said is you didn't know what you didn't know so you bought a business in florida end up working out and you're like oh shit this could actually be done yeah. like fully remote it's kind of like for me i don't know what cleaning was i didn't know the local businesses could not be done remotely so I just did it and i was like oh this kind of worked yep. um so now chris when you're looking at businesses I feel like this opens up kind of a mental shift door for you where you're like, you don't care. It's anywhere as long as it's a good business. That's are there's when you're evaluating your next business to buy, Chris, are you looking at certain markets, just size businesses, industries to make sure you can do it remote? What are you looking at? Yeah. So if so so there are things that start to restrict you. So like I could I could go and pick up some other cleaning businesses or cleaning contracts, however you want to look at it, whether I mm-hmm. buy somebody's business or just buy the, buy the contracts for them. If I'm going to roll that up into my current business, that needs to be local, right? Because right. I have my workers there. I have my managers there. I can't, you know, just buying another cleaning business in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I'm going to have to replicate everything that I currently have. And that seems like double the work versus just buying up some cleaning contracts in you know the tampa area but right um but other than that you know it's really size dependent i do like service businesses i like businesses that have recurring revenue okay um that's always great you know it's like contracted revenue it's the hardest kind of revenue to get i'm sure as you know yep um and that that's stuff that appeals to me but i'm not you know i'm not like hard and fast on on anything really my mind is open i just have certain you know parameters around size unless it can be rolled up into something that i currently own yeah interesting chris i kind of want to talk about your your thoughts on risk and how you analyze risk and maybe your your experience at the hedge fund also opened up your mind to this and unknowingly yeah. i think the way you approach things in a systematic way helps you frame risk for and here's here's what i mean by that someone is looking at buying a business which is a million dollars they need to put $750,000 for the business. It's out of state. They need to put up cash. It's a loan. There's interest on it. They might be like, this is a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm about to spend $750,000 at least on this business, right? Yeah. Um, it's tough. And for you, it worked out well. 
uh, because yeah. I think you you had the right mindset when going into it. Where maybe it isn't wasn't as big as an emotional decision. I'm curious to I, I don't know how exactly to dive into it, but I want to talk yeah. a little bit about that. Where you learned that was it just from doing it? How do people cultivate that resistance to yeah sure the fear? I mean yeah so working in finance I did a bunch of deals and after I worked at the hedge fund I did like mergers and acquisitions for a, a pipeline mm-hmm. a oil pipeline company. So I looked at like financial models and <clears> talked about risks and talked about downsides, upsides, left sides, right sides, all the sides that could mm-hmm. that could happen in a in a deal. So that definitely helped. It like sharpened my teeth around how to approach risk, how to approach uncertainty, um, stuff like that. So that really helped, and also like somewhat being naive helped. But mm-hmm. I also like we were talking about the internet earlier, like I also am, I consider myself pretty competent. And so when I see other people doing stuff, I'm like, mm-hmm. it's that, that is a track record of it. It can be done or it's proven that it, it works. So yeah, that also gave me confidence. So it's like a, a, a bunch of things, but I would say my finance background and literally looking at deals <clears> all the time, and assessing them and saying like, okay, this is why this is bad. These are the risks that we have to look at. Yeah. Um, because nothing is without risk. Everything is with risk. So yeah. you have to assess what that means to you. And it, it means different things to different people. I don't have any kids. So I'm like, mm. at the end of the day, I can cut my expenses down to like nothing if I needed to. Yeah. Where other people don't always have that luxury. So it's it's individual, but it definitely can be systematized over time and just kind of the more due diligence you do on deals, the more you'll learn and yeah. the more you'll feel comfortable. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Chris, how'd you end up in Paris? How did this shift happen and when did it happen? Yeah, so my last company, when I was working at the uh, pipeline company, um, I had a good job. I, I enjoyed what I did. And my wife was working at the time. But you know, I always knew like I didn't want to stay anywhere for very long like we talked, at, talked about yeah. earlier. So me and my wife were just like, we used to just joke like, oh, we should move to Paris. Like we love Paris. And we were like, we should move to Paris. And then I think like one day we both <laughs> came home and we were just like, well, what's like, what's stopping us from doing this? <laughs> and so we were kind of like nothing. And um, that day, that night, like we went on the, the like the French consulate, wow. found out what we needed to do to get our visas and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when we were living in it, when we were living there, we lived on one salary. So we used to save the other salary because yeah. it was just two of us. So um, we made decent money. So it was like no need to to it, spend that much money. This and is why you're working at the job or you quit yeah. and move to Paris? Yeah, yeah. So we were, well, we were working at the job and then I just told my job, like, I'm not coming back. And she told her job the same thing. Like, I'm just not coming back. We're moving. And so we left and we went over there. And so I had some real estate holdings when I went over there. So I like managed yeah. that and okay. I learned French and I just like... I became a Parisian for a year, man. It was Jeez, awesome. that's awesome, man. Any uh, inkling yeah. to do something like that again? I would. I mean, I would love to, man. Like, I don't know if I would do it for as long as we did, but I would love to like go somewhere for a month. Yeah. I think about that all the time. Like, I told my wife, I'm like, we should go to France just like for the summer <clears> and just do it. But she, her job is different. She's a photographer, so mm-hmm. she, uh, she kind of has to like, she can't be remote, right? Like, she has yeah. to actually physically do stuff but um i still want to do it i still like want to go to like or either like tuscany for the summer or like go to france for the summer i think it'd be awesome yeah good yeah. stuff man 
Cool. Well, Chris, uh, where can the listeners find you or learn more about you? Yeah, well, today nowadays I'm posting a lot on Twitter. My Twitter is Chris, C-H-R-I-S, the letter X, and my last name, Mun, M-U-N-N. Uh, I post a lot of stuff on Twitter that I hope people find valuable. Um, I post a little bit about my business and what I do. So I say that's the best place to keep up with me. Uh, other than that, you know, you can find me on the golf course or working on my business. That's, that's about <laughs> all I do. Love it, man. And I can vouch for Chris's content. He's always puts up great stuff. So definitely give him a follow and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, for all the listeners, thanks for hopping on for another episode of the Remote Local Podcast. We'll catch you next week. And Chris, thanks for hopping on. Thanks a lot, Neil. Thanks again for listening, guys. There are two ways I could help you out. Number one is with May This Franchise. If you want to get into business but don't want to go at it alone, we have you covered with everything from A to Z. Check out madethisfranchise.com to start your own remote local business. The next is with the Remote Local Blueprint, which is a course I launched to teach you the foundations of starting your own remote local business in any niche. It's do-it-yourself at your own pace, and you can check that out at blueprint.beremotelocal.com.